We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Roto Grinders today. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Red, Blender HD. You're going to follow me on Twitter. And it's Monday, October 16th. And you know what we do on Mondays. It's Mondays with McCool. We're bringing James McCool, the co author, with me on the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports 15 hour audio DFS masterclass. You can pick up at theoryofdfs.com. First off, James, before we talk about DFS, did you see the Lombardi tweet? Yeah, I did. How oh, uh, analytics doesn't know who's on the field. Right, right. I just, I just wanted to point that out for, for the, but of course, as analytics people, we always have to make fun of people that, that are stupid. Does so, anybody uh, look stupider than somebody trying to talk about analytics who doesn't understand analytics? Or someone that doesn't even understand the definition of the ter- of the word analytics, that, that analytics just means math, right? Analytics right. never know who's on the field and whoever on the field matters more than numbers. It's like, Analytics literally knows who's on the field. Like that's right. That's kind of the point. It's crazy. It's crazy stuff. Uh, new cat in the background, by the way. Um, oh, we had, we had an. Instance does it matter what cat's in the background? Does does does, does analytics care about what cat's in the background? So, analytics might not care, but Kershaw cares. Uh, he's not super big fan so far of the other cat. So, uh, you know, he's he's sleeping, napping. But if he wakes up and finds out the other cat is in his face, we might have some cat fights on the show today. So uh, dealing with that. But uh, it was weird, man. Like this this last week was really weird. So this new cat decided to just stroll into my house. Just strolled on in and made itself at home. We've been trying to find its owner for like four days, five days or something like that. Nothing. So now we just have a new cat. Her name's Belly. Oh, so you, oh, it's, you named you named the cat as well. Named cat. That's named. Okay, hit that thumbs up button on your way in the door. Give me those thummy thumbs. Hit the subscribe button if you're new here. Hit the notification bell to always know when we go live. Good morning to everyone in the chat. Jose Morales asks if you're only playing one lineup on DK, who would you put in the captain spot tonight? My suggestion would be Jose. 
Click on that link in the description. Get $10 off your first month of a, of a Roto-Grinders premium membership. You get our, you get all of our content, all of our projections. Okay. So I would, what I would do is that I would just, obviously depends on what contest you're in, right? The payout structure of the contest and uh, run high projected lineups that also have lower ownership and then play one of those lineups. So who is in the captain spot does not matter. The lineup matters. And if, uh, if you, if you ran the Sims, James, Roto-Grinders is coming out with the, with, we're coming out with the Sims thing. I'm excited. I'm excited to see that. Very shortly. It's uh, just a preview because I, I have been test I have been testing it to some degree. It is not like other the, around the internet. It's 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 hard. What it on a scale of one to ten on like what type of user our Sims product is going to be based is going to be based on. Like a lot around the industry are kind of. Assuming you're like a seven or an eight, like you kind of know what the hell's going on. This one's more for like twos and threes. Okay. So the amount of features are not like the features and options. It's more, if you're a, a Roto-Grinders premium member and you get our projections here and our ownership, all of our stuff is powered. The top stacks and the, and the, and the slate IQs and the SIM tools for showdown and everything is all powered in, in our backend here at Roto-Grinders. Now we're giving you the option to kind of have a front-facing interface of that to choose lineups based on the contest that you play and look at lineups that correlate with those statistics. So that's that's a that's a better way of putting it. So it's not going to be the type of thing where where it's like, oh yeah, I could upload my own stuff and change everything around. It's more like, no, if you use our stuff, right? And you need a lineup for this type of contest and this type of thing. And you want a high-risk lineup, a low-risk lineup, one with a high cash rate, a low cash rate, a higher 1% rate. Like, you could configure all that. And if you want, I want to play this guy. You could just say, I just want to see lineups with that guy. I want to see lineups that have these prof these these statistics as far as cash rate and everything, but have to, has to have a, a stack of these players. And I'll just show you that, right? Like, like that's kind of what it's meant for. And uh, we're, we're getting a demonstration internally, uh, the the company wide uh, today, right? Even oh, though I've, cool. I've I've looked at it before, uh, so that that should be out soon. So I just want, wanted to let everyone know about that. But how how was your how was your uh, Sunday? My Saturday was better than Sunday. My Saturday in college football props was hmm. was amazing. Uh, yesterday. NFL props was good, but my 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 every decision I could have made in my three v three in DraftKings cash was wrong. Yeah, I still I still ended up uh, I still ended up winning almost fifty percent of my head to heads, mm -hmm. but didn't make it in most of the the double ups. And uh, I I felt like it was it was that type of week where. There were a lot of options in similar zones mm -hmm. to play. Like, and if you stayed in those zones, you probably did well, but it really just depended on like what six to seven K running back did you take? Right. Mm -hmm. What eight K to nine D $500 wide receiver did you take? What four K five K wide receiver did you like? But it was like, you take a look at like who did well, 
And it's not it's not like the chalk didn't hit. The chalk pretty much like if you stayed to that that kind of the higher owned player pool, you probably did pretty well. Yeah, it was a really weird week. Um I think I I won like 40% of my head to heads. I I was kind of like you. Um I think that I I made like one 2v2 wrong maybe. It might have even been a it might have been a 3v3, but it might, I think it was a 2v2. Um, most people, I what think, did you, what did you at, score in DraftKings Cash? What was your What was your score? One thirty one nine four. Okay, so, so yeah, so yeah, I did I did better than you. Yeah, I think. Well, like so I said, your, I, like I lost. You, what... I think that the two v two that I lost was I went Kamara Foreman, and I think people went Hubbard Etienne. Maybe well, I didn't do I didn't do either, but I mean, but you're you're on the right track as far as. Or Kyron wasn't necessarily as owned in cash. Yeah, I'm bringing up my cash lineup in a twenty-five dollar massive single entry thing. Like looking at my lineup, like I'm I'm assuming I'm assuming in in DraftKings cash. I mean, your 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 strategy is typically you want to play the highest owned lineup, and me, I'm trying to play the highest projected lineup Mm -hmm. out of a bunch of like twenty top lineups and yeah. the variance effects of all of them. My three B my kind of three B three were like, do I play Burrow and Jacobs or do I play mm-hmm. Stafford and Etienne? Sure. And yeah. then the other one was, do I play Logan Thomas or do I play Kyle Pitts? Mm-hmm. And I did, if I, if I would have just played Pitts over Thomas, I would have been fine. I mean, I, I, I was like three points behind the cash line or two points behind yeah. the cash line. Right. Yeah. And if I just played, if I played Stafford at the end, then I also get there. And, and then I, if I had to go from the Bears to the Buccaneers defense, that would have been fine. I think I need to do that with the Stafford at the end lineup. Mm-hmm. But I was fine. But I mean, every everything else in my lineup was staying put. Like I was I was going to play Mostert, Kyron Williams, Chase Kirk Downs. Right. I wasn't going to play. I wasn't going to pay. I wasn't going to pay for Evan Ingram at tight end. I did mm-hmm. on FanDuel. And then you know this would this lineup that that I played was out of out of tw- the top twenty lineups, like it was like number three, and like the top ten lineups were all within a half a point of each other. So it's like it really came down to like that Logan Thomas Kyle Pitts projection. It came mm-hmm. down to the differences between Jacobs at the end and David Montgomery at seventy three hundred. And the difference is between the Bears' defense and the Buccaneers' defense and the Lions' defense. It's 2,700. Everything else was kind of, like, in place. Like, it it also came down to whether or not you thought playing Chuba Hubbard or a cheap running back was worthwhile. And if you did, most likely you landed, instead of Josh Downs, you landed on Marquise Brown. Mm-hmm. And Evan Ingram, it just felt it felt like I, I'm, I stick to the macro a lot when it comes to building cash lineups and I'm not going to pay up a tight end unless I'm paying up for it, unless it's Kelsey. Right. So it's like, I'm going to sure. be on the low end of tight end. I'm going to be on the, low. there were some lineups in the top 20. Half of those lineups had 49ers defense at 4k in them yeah. with Chuba Hubbard. And I'm like, like, I don't, I don't pay, for, I don't pay for defense in cash games. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't, the projections are too fragile at DST for me to spend my salary at DST. So I I'm paying down. So I just, I eliminate those lineups and that's how 
I mean, it's, I mean, other than, other than Jacobs, I mean, the Bears defense was only 3% owned. Yeah. In double ups and Jacobs was 6%. Right. But I mean, these are workhorse running backs. I don't mind. But so you play, you played Foreman over Hubbard in that type of kind of cheap running back lineup. Did you pay up a tight end? Yeah, I did. I played Evan Ingram. Um, Evan Ingram's ownership projection was considerably higher than Logan Thomas. And when I, when the cards flipped, and I saw that Logan Thomas was like 24% in the milli. I that was the first thing that I was blown away by this week. Had you known that, that, you would have played Logan Thomas. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. It done, done even worse. And I, well, I, I don't think I would have done worse. If I if I play him, how much was he? 3500? 3500. So you have 1000 in salary. Yeah, I'd have done worse. <laughs> <laughs> so so what would you what was your cash line about DraftKings then? You're, you're so I went, I went Stafford, Kamara, Mostert, Chase Kirk, Marquise Brown, Evan Ingram, and Devin Foreman or Deontay Foreman with Deontay the Lions Foreman. defense. Okay, no, that was that was a popular line. So you, you play you yeah. played what was a popular line. Yeah, and, and like that, I was fine with that lineup, but 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 I will say I made one executive decision that killed me. I played what? Foreman over uh, over Hubbard. And it, like, it didn't murder me, right? I put up like 135 or something. But considering I play all, all head-to-heads, like that change probably nets me another like 3 4% or something like that. Right. Um, and the reason why I did that was because every once in a while, like I don't do it very often, but I do it when there is a situation like where we had Rohim Mostert and Shuba Hubbard across from each other. If I have Dante Foreman in a spot where there's basically no other running back on the on the depth chart except Derrick for Evans. Durant and Evans up against Minnesota, who now doesn't have Justin Jefferson, I think that that game is more competitive and there's a better chance for the Bears to end up having a closer game script than Chuba Hubbard, who only really got there because of the touchdown on the first one. And in my analysis video on Saturday, I said verbatim, the only way that I can see Hubbard killing me this week is if he scores the first touchdown. And then he scores that's the first it, touchdown. But that's exactly the reason. I had a choice between play. I mean, when I ran top 20 lineups in aggregate, I, mean, I saw a bunch of 49ers defense lineups. And I saw Hubbard and and not all of them. And my attitude when it comes to, to especially the running back position, especially any position practically, is that, when when in doubt, 50-50, take take the teams that are favored to win. Right. And score points. More score touchdowns more. Like people always go, oh, I'm gonna play the back of the quarterback that's gonna be behind all game. It's like like you make points on efficiency and right. scoring touchdowns and stuff. You want you right? So like Chuba Hubbard, I I mean that the Panthers were a big road underdog. Yeah, he's cheap. On an, on another slate where there's very thin value, if let's say Mostert was eight thousand eighty five hundred this slate, I mean he was on Fanduel, like Chase was up to like ninety two hundred, where you're probably just playing Cooper Cup instead. Right. Christian Kirk was sixty three hundred instead of fifty four hundred. Right. Next thing you know, it's like now Hubbard's going to be in a lot of these lot now at forty four hundred, mm-hmm. forty three hundred, whatever he was. It's like okay, I'm playing the underdog cheap running back and whatever happens happens i didn't see a need to like in the top 20 lineups juba hubbard was only was only in 12 of them 
And eight of those 12 were 49er defense lineups. So it's right. like once you take out the 49ers defense and you plug in the Bears, the Lions, the Buccaneers, Hubbard doesn't appear in any of those lineups anymore, mm-hmm. right? Because it, because we have Jacobs and Williams and Montgomery and Mostert and Kamara and all those 6K running backs that are almost all of them were underpriced to some degree. It, it was a great mid-range week for running backs. It was great. Right. And it just depends on which mid-range running backs you selected. If you selected Kyron Williams, even, even at the half, James, he had 0. 0.4 points at the half. They Because the Rams only ran, I mean, the Rams ran, what, 16 plays 16 in the first half? 16 plays, dude. 16 plays in the first half. That's bad. And then, and then they, they just fed him. And then in the second half, they just came out and just literally said, we're giving you the ball every play. Right. <laughs> and look, 158 yards, touchdown. Right. Um, yeah, it was. And when I when I just reran things as well, um, based on the same ownership stuff, like I, I do use the highest projected highest owned lineup in my runs. So I don't just use the highest projected ownership. The highest projected ownership lineup actually had both Foreman and Hubbard and the 49ers defense. And like I didn't have any need to do that. So I did end up paying up at, at certain spots. Um, just ended up. I, I don't know. I, I looked at that lineup and most of the things just made sense in terms of how they turned out. I think the majority of it, what, like, was it Trevor Lawrence and Etienne that just ended up outscoring Kamara and Stafford by however much? Um, it feels like it was just Etienne versus Kamara, and that was the 1v1 that I lost this week. Because everything else, like, when I look at it, I think I think cash lineup is fine. No, your cash line was fine. I mean, that's a, it's close. That's why I said there are many combinations of very similar style lineups that all yeah. project within a point of each other. That's fine. I bring up a results DB. You can obviously get this at uh, rotogrinders.com, powered by Fantasy Labs. This is free. You don't have to be a Rotogrinders premium member or anything. So go to rotogrinders.com slash results DB. We do not have the update for the, the afternoon games in, so I can't show the Rams. Or, so it's a little, little. That's the main reason I'm not really looking much at it right now. Uh, the only noticeable thing that I could see when we move over to, to GPPs is that, uh, I mean, do people just, uh, people don't think recency bias exists. And the lower stakes you go, the more it does. But let's just say that my ownership manual changes did not bump up. I mean, I didn't play it. I played 10 GPP lineups and I didn't play Justin Fields in any of them, but Justin Fields was the highest owned quarterback and DJ Moore was 25% owned in the Millie. And let's just say that my, even accounting for recency bias, I had his, I projected his ownership to be. (laughs) This week was wild from ownership projective, dude. That like there were, I mean, I had in, in cash, or in small field, I had Rahim Mostert projected for 50% owned, and that came through. I did so, not. No, no, no. Have... So, so, so what, what are you saying? So Mostert, well, also Mostert came in on the milli at almost 55% ownership. Yeah. And I, I had him I had him at like 32. Yeah. In large field, I had him projected for 27%. So right, double so that. Just, just, just double that. I mean, just that's. <laughs> You're off by double, but what? But the byproduct of that is that all the other running backs in that in that that range, mm-hmm. just all I mean, like, 
Like, dude, in my 10 lineups, I played Raheem Mostert in five of them. And But I, I also play Kyron Williams. I played Jacobs. I played Montgomery. I played Etienne. I played Kamara. I, I mean, I played all, all the guys that were in that range. It's just that the ownership on all those guys just was lower. I mean, like, I didn't expect – see, the thing is, the weird thing is that, like, Kamara got the ownership – and all the other guys didn't like, like, dude, Travis at the end was 8.8% in the million. Yeah. I had him projected for 18, right? I, Joe Mixon came in at six. I had him for 14, right? Kenneth Walker came in at six and I only had him at like eight. Yeah. So like, it didn't affect him. Bijan Robinson, I had at like six and it didn't affect him, right? Like some of these, I mean, obviously we don't have the, the late games in here as well. Like for Jake, like Jacobs came in at like 6% owned and I had him for like 12. So it's like all of that, but it didn't matter. Cause I mean, most are scored 37 points. So, right. But from an ownership perspective, like I take a look at my, my lineups and it turns out I would have done worse. Right. Cause had I projected most for 55% ownership, I probably would have had him in like two out of my 10 lineups and my two most contrarian lineups only. And yeah. Then just, I, my, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I play smaller, a little bit smaller field, 5,000 entry type of stuff, but uh, in GPP, what, what, what were you most focused on for your GPPs and your GPP lineups? Uh, Miami mostly. <laughs> um, but when I say Miami, I mean Miami as a whole. So I had I had five lineups this week for GPPs up a little bit from the three lineups that I usually play for reasons that are very annoying. Um, but I played and and said that I my biggest priority was getting a Miami stack because of the ownership on Raheem Mostert. And okay, then so what what contest are you playing? Are some of these lineups in what the the power sweepers? I only played the Millie and the. Uh, oh, so 30- you threw these in the Millie also, so I could find them here. Yes, you can find those. Even though the um, late, oh, even though the late games aren't aren't right, aren't in. Now this is the five fifty five. Sorry. Yeah, uh, I have an issue with my deposit limits on DraftKings right now. So I had like nine hundred bucks in my account or something like that to play this week. Uh, so I I had regged all of my head to heads. And then I had that deposit issue and I was like, oh, cool. Well, I have like 200 bucks for GPPs. So I guess I'll just throw them in the Millie. Right. Uh, so some I of these are complete lineups because we don't have the late games in. Right. So it's not even, I, I can just, I had a Miami stack and then in all four of my other lineups, I had Mostert. I thought that it was really important to get access to either Mostert or Miami stacks. Um, and because okay, I so don't. Terry, you played Cedric Wilson. I did play Cedric Wilson. Yeah. Who got zero, which was awesome. Scored 42 points. Uh, he gets zero. But in in those lineups, uh, I had a Miami stack, and then I thought that it was really important to have a Philadelphia stack and a Ram stack. Um, those were kind of the two other best teams to stack. And then I had a Cincinnati stack, and I had a Tampa Bay stack. Um, and both of the Cincinnati and Tampa Bays were overloaded with uh, QB 2 plus 2. Um, just right, hoping so you both play- Metcalf and Lockett on the way yeah. back. Yeah, so I, I just tried to take advantage of what I thought were probably the best uh, upside environments based on price and passing rate for the teams. 
This was a really hard week for GPPs to find game environments to exploit, though. Um, in weeks past, there have been like some really, really good spots to take advantage of. And this week, I mean, Miami with a really high team total was really nice. And you could bring back Thielen, who the industry is still way too low on. But outside of that, it was like, okay, well, you have the Rams, but they're facing the Cardinals. And you have Philadelphia, but they're facing the Jets. And then you have Cincinnati, who has a weirdly low over-under up against Seattle. And that came through. Then you have Tampa Bay versus uh, Detroit, where Detroit might just have a lead and then just run it out on them. It was just, it was a weird week for uh, for finding like upside game environments. And a lot of people were on the Indianapolis-Jacksonville game, um, mostly because of price, I think is what most people are saying, but I wasn't even really into that game. Um, I was fine with some of the pieces. I was fine with Josh Downs. I was fine with, uh, you know, Evan Ingram and maybe a little bit on Kirk, but I wasn't really super into the game environments because I didn't think that, um, I, I just thought that I had a, a, I had a high probability of letting down based on how many people were on it because it wasn't sneaky. If that, if that game had no ownership, it was one thing, but it was just getting a lot of chatter. So I didn't think that was good. It was kind of hard GPP week to find those game environments, but the one-off pieces were so easy. The running back, like you had so many good running backs. You had so many good one-off pieces with like Adam Thielen and like, you know, we had in those game environments, you have Josh Downs, you have Michael Pittman, you have Evan Ingram. If you want to like, you had so many good one-off pieces that it made up for the bad game environment. So it was kind of a weird week for building for me. I prefer to focus on game environments, but I think it turned out okay. In GPPs, I mostly broke even. I, I lost a little bit of money in cash, but I mostly broke even in GPPs. I focused on, I had, I mean, I focused on two games, but I had lineups in a bunch. So, I mean, my best lineup was one of the games I focused on, but primarily in stacks. Yeah, like I didn't want necessarily a piece. The only piece that I didn't mind having on its own was Bijan Robinson, but my best lineup was a Desmond Ritter lineup. Ritter, London, Pitts, McLaurin, runback, mm-hmm. right? And then I take take a look at this lineup. I mean, this is how I build GPP lineups. I'd look at Ritter, London, Pitts, McLaurin. Do I have to worry anything about about ownership in that stack? No. Oh. So you know what I do? I play Etienne. I play Mostert. I play Chase. Right, I play Jacobs. Then I'm, I have Cardinals defense left. I mean, whatever. I mean, I'm just playing playing most in this lineup. I don't mind playing a one-off Chase in this lineup. Specific, like Jason Mostert are two of the most owned players, but in a Ritter stack like this, no problem. And of course, at the end, I had projected to be like 18% owned, not 8% owned. So, like, there you go. This is lineups, not players. Okay. Another lineup I played. I played one car lineup. Carlave Thomas mm-hmm. with Damian with uh, Damian Pierce, who I guess is dead now. Uh, <laughs> but here's another thing: you can play Mostert in this lineup. I mean, because could be Travis in uh, in chat is asking like, how would you could you discuss being fifty percent owned in the Millie Mostert? Right. We're talking about lineups, not players. Right, lineups, not players. Now, in this lineup, with the look at the ownership in the rest of my lineup, I could play Cup, I could play Mostert, I could, like, dude, once you do that, play, play the highest projection. There you go, done. 
another lineup. This is my two-a lineup. I had two, I I had two two-a lineups. This lineup, Tua, Hill, Smythe. If I'm gonna do it, if I'm punting a tight end, I'm just gonna punt in whatever the hell happens, right? Right. Then Williams, and then this is this is the way to play Hubbard, right? 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 You could play Hubbard here. Right, and then instead of playing downs, you play Ken, uh, Kendrick Bourne at three percent owned. Right, this is the lineup that you don't play Mostert in. Right, so you play Kyron Williams at higher ownership. Right, you can play Chris, look Christian Kirk's in this lineup. He's a high owned player. But once I'm once I'm playing no Mostert, right, I'm playing the you know David Montgomery and every you know Kendrick Bourne. You could play these guys in this lineup. Um, I'll I'll get to those and and then I had super stack Tua Waddle Smythe with both Hubbard and Thielen. So it's like I want the whole game. I want the whole game. Yeah. Right. But this is a non-Mostert lineup. Of course, if I played Mostert instead of Mixon here, it would have been much better. And I just had all the Dolphins. But look, you know, I'm playing five percent on Waddle in a correlated yeah. way. I could play Kirk in this lineup. Right, I can play the Lions defense at a little, little chalky defense, right? Like it's lineups, not players. And this is not like I'm not hand selecting these things. I'm just running through lineups and lineup HQ and looking for these comments and go, oh, okay, this looks interesting. This looks fine. I'm taking one of these. I'm taking one of those. Then when then we get to then we then we get to my the other game that I was targeting because I said it was a high variance game. That was the the Raiders Patriots game. So uh, yeah, Garoppolo, Adams, Meyer at 0.3% owned, right? Because I'm just throwing in a tight end, and I'm playing Kendrick Warren as a run back there. I can play Mostert in this lineup. I can play Kyron Williams in this lineup. Instead of playing Kirk, I play Calvin Ridley. Play the Vikings defense. There you go. And then the the craziest lineup is this one: the game stack lineup. The maybe Mac Jones corrects himself lineup. I had to take a shot. It, it you came up. In have, you didn't. You didn't have to take a shot. <laughs> no, but but the whole point. The whole point was in that game. I wanted the game, or I wanted nothing. I either wanted Jacobs as a one-off, or maybe Bourne as a one-off. But I, if if that game went off, I want all of them. So Mac Jones with Bourne, Parker, and Gazicki, Jacobs and Adams, and then. You know, th- this lineup looks very good after the 1 p.m. games because the only two players in it are Mostert and Tyree Hill. And I go, give me the Dolphins. The Dolphins truck the Panthers. And then late, late, late game hammer. Give give me everything. Give me give me a 36 to 30 game with the Eagles defense against the Jets. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show 
by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Right. I'm going to agree with could be Travis on this. 22 QBs on this slate, baby. You didn't, you didn't need to use Mac Jones. Well, the only way for me to afford all these people, I had to get Adams and Hill and Well, then and play, Jacobs play and a backup quarterback. It's going to be better than Mac Jones. You could have played Malik Willis there. He gets benched, and then Malik Willis runs for two touchdowns. Um, I, got, I, I took a shot. Is it something that's going to be in a multitude of my lineups? No, but this lineup in and of itself, why the hell not? Right, I played. I played the Sam Howell lineup on the other side of the Atlanta game. So Howell, Samuel, Thomas, mm-hmm. right, and Bijan Robinson. Because Bijan Robinson has a, the way that he scores points. Like he's like Kamara. So like, yeah. I want to focus on those. I don't want to play Brian Robinson. Yeah, yeah. I want to play Bijan Robinson. I want to play those types of running backs. Well, and then Brian Robinson caught the touchdown. So maybe you should have played Brian Robinson in this lineup, right? right? With, with, his, with his four percent target share. Yep, results, baby, results. Right, or play both. Play both the Commanders running backs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There you go. That was my you worst lineup. You should have played both of the com- Commanders running backs and then brought it back with Bijan Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> so this is my worst lineup: Stroud, Collins, Woods. That's maybe one of my favorite lineups that you have shown. Oh, and I think it works. Right, Etienne, yeah. Kamara, Magaz. I just avoided the Dolphins game completely. And then still hate Stroud the 39ers. Really Stroud made a lot of sense uh, and then had his worst game of the season. Um, right, and then I played I played one T-Law lineup because he was going to be owned enough and the pieces fit together. I was under on the I – if, if I had a lot of lineups, I would have been way under. But at yeah. a 10, from a risk management perspective, it's like – I'm already playing Kirk in some lineups. I'm playing Ridley in some lineups. I'm playing, you know, like I'm playing at the end. Like, why not at least build? Yeah, around Lawrence. Right. But instead of building it with Kirk, I built it with Ridley. So Lawrence, Ridley, Engram with Downs. And then because I'm playing, you know, that combination, it's like, well, you can't play most. I'm not playing Mostert in this lineup. So it's like Bijan, Damian Pierce, Kyron Williams. And Myers here is a one-off instead of Marquise Brown or Adam Thielen. And then just play the, I'll play the Dolphins defense because maybe that Bryce Young throws two pick sixes and that's how the Dolphins score. And that's the only Dolphins that matter. Yeah. Um, to, to speak really quick to the 73% of high stakes. The, so there have been, it's, how should I say this? One of the, best things you can develop as a DFS player is an understanding of when a high-owned player is just a really, really good play and when a high-owned player is somebody that you should avoid to find leverage. I disagree. I think that's a horrible <laughs> way of putting it. I think I'm that gonna it makes sense. I'm going to... What either, I may agree with you, and I keep mm-hmm. on saying this week after week. There's no such thing as good shock. There's no such thing as bad shock. Yeah. Whether or not he's Overowned uh-huh. or underowned. Yeah. If Mostert was ninety nine percent owned in your contest, mm-hmm. he's almost certainly overowned. Yeah. But let me put another sentence in. We have to explain this time and time again. This is in the first course. This is in the second course. Mm-hmm. This is one of the most important concepts in all of DFS playing GPPs. Yeah. There's no such thing as good chalk or bad chalk. I'm going to repeat it again. 
There is a thing as over-owned and under-owned. And yep. what that does, the byproduct of a player's ownership increases or decreases the relative value of your entire lineup. Not of that player, but of your entire lineup. So you can play an over-owned player. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're probably only playing because he has a high projection. You're not going to play. If people played the fourth tight end on the special teams on the Eagles at 99% owned, that would like, that would obviously fit into like the badge. That would like the mass delusion, but we don't get that in DFS, right? (laughs) Typically if a player is higher owned, they're typically higher projected to some degree at least. (laughs) Okay. So once any player that's high projected is worth playing any play, no matter at whatever ownership you play them, but (laughs) You need to take into account the relative value of your lineup. So let's say, for instance, Moster is 99% owned. You can play him in lineups because he is the highest projected running back on the slate. But the relative value of your lineup has gone down significantly enough that you need to find more under-owned players to balance that out. Now, if you do... if Raheem Mostert was 99% owned and you didn't play him in a lineup. He is so over-owned to the point where once you don't play him, the relative value of your lineup is probably very high as long as you're just playing higher projected players that's not Raheem. Like like at that exaggerated example, let's say Mostert was 99% and, and Jamar Chase was 99% owned. If you would have X'd out both those players and just literally ran the top 150 optimals, that portfolio would probably be plus EV, right? Because 99% on in these two players is just obviously for their range of outcomes, egregiously overowned. Now, you could also lock button in Mostert and Chase, even if they're 99% owned. Now, if you run the top 150 optimals, those lineups are way too high owned. Right, because they contain other of the highest projected players on the slate. You're not going to have enough relative value to be plus EV and large and GPPs. So what you would have to do is decrease the ownership of your lineups enough where if you play Mostert and Chase, you're playing you're playing Nico Collins and you're playing Chris Olave and you're playing Damian. P- you're you're playing a two percent on running back, a one percent on defense. A, a 5% owned wide receiver, a 3% owned tight end. Like you'd have to do that in order to make up for the negative relative value you're getting from two 99% owned players. And you can do this. Look how many options you can do that. You have, you have to work hard on doing it. Now, if you X out both of them, you could find the lineup that projects within one point of a Mostert chase lineup that has 200% less ownership. Yeah. Right. And that trade off is worth doing that in an exploitative sense, heuristically, if they were both were 99% owned and you never played both of them in a lineup, you would be building higher EV lineups. And I want to key, key into the word that I'm using higher, not plus EV, not high EV lineups. I'm talking about higher EV lineups than lineups that you can make with most to chase. You can still make high EV lineups with Mostert and Chase, but there are more available lineups that are higher EV that don't contain both. So if you had a, if you were only playing one lineup 
and you wanted to play the highest possible EV lineup, most likely if both were 99% owned, you wouldn't play either of them, right? Because you could find lineups that are projected practically the same for not without 99% owned players. So that's the concept of over-owned and under-owned. So when people talk about, well, you can't play. He's, Mozart was 73% in high stakes as madness. Like, well, one of those lines, if you show me a Mostert lineup that contained like, that looked like, like the trains and double ups, then those, then I would say, yes, that, Mo, that Mostert lineup is a poor way of, that's a poor lineup, but you could also show me a 73% on Mostert lineup that if you simulated it out actually has the highest ROI. If you, once you take a look at the, these sim things come out and you start taking a look and it starts. It, pe- people think I'm nuts, James. Yeah. Four years ago, I think I coined the threat. Four, maybe even five years ago. Play whoever you want. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you could start with anywhere. There's a plus EV lineup with practically any player in the player pool that's projected to some some extent. Right. Not two points. Not garbage. Sure. If you go through the Sims, you'll see that that's absolutely the case. It just it's what combination of players that you're playing. So. It's not about is most or two. If a defense is 50% owned, go, well, you can't play that defense. It's like, of course you can. You just, it depends on the lineups that you're playing them in. And the Sims will show it out. You go, you run a simulation of the slate. You'll find tons of 73% owned in high stakes, small field, most of lineups that are, that are positive ROI. And you go, well, how is that possible? He's so high owned. It's like, well, yeah, in comparison to the lineup that he's being played in. So that's that, you know, that that, that whole that whole segment there is go to go to the court. You'll you'll get more of that theory at DFS.com. But that's the main reason, James, why I'm I, I know I'm being a little rude by you know interrupting a point that yeah. probably you end up coming at the same exact way that I just said. Yeah. Right. And you're nodding ahead. But the words that you use are very important because people just stop at a certain sentence. Right. So let me head chalk. They don't understand what that means. Let me let me finish what I was going to say then. Okay. And uh, and re reestablish some of the thoughts that I was giving. All right. Right. But you understand the words. Like, be careful with your words. Right. Right. I get. So as I was saying before Blender gave a very good demonstration of uh, of what it means to be over or undervalued. Um, I think that a really important concept that DFS players need to have is understanding, and I will insert something here, either intuitively or mechanically, how over or under-owned a player is, even at ownership. Does that sound a little bit better? Yes. Okay. So uh, the, the thing with most this week, uh, projected at, again, projected at around 30% owned, right? When I ran contest sims for uh, small field and sharp contests over at Pater, his efficient ownership was 56% in, in the contest sims. That's how often he was in winning lines. So his efficient ownership of 56%, anything under that would mean that he is theoretically undervalued and underowned. Anything over that would mean that he is theoretically overvalued or overowned. Uh, I use the term theoretically here. It's an important term because these are based on my projections. These are not based on Blender's projections or BK Reader's projections or Uticow's projections, right? Those guys might have had a different efficient ownership. 
in high stakes, if those guys were to do the same thing and he projected for more than I did, for more than I had him, or the running backs in his price range projected worse, he would have had a higher efficient ownership for lineups. Now, all of that is to say that from a mechanical sense, it was very easy to find that Raheem Mostert should have been somewhere between 50 to 60% owned. I don't think that I was that far off of the industry in my projection for him. So I'm going to guess that most industry projections would have him somewhere in the range of efficient ownership of 45 to 60% owned or something like that. Right. I, just, um, just, I, just to interject, I had him projected owned at 32. Mm-hmm. And I still played him in five out of 10 lineups because I had at 32 him to still be under owned. Right. So all of that to be said, when you see a, a line, a player in 73% of lineups, one of the reasons why I said that I was going to play him in anything where I didn't have a Miami stack, there are some heuristic things here that are important as well. When we look at, the way that the slate was broken out when we look at his props, when we look at other things that can lead us to making decisions on running backs and in players in general, his efficient ownership being 55% in higher stakes. Let's say, let's say, you know, the, the $2,200 contest or something like that. It's like a hundred people. If somebody is projected at 32% ownership and their efficient ownership, when you run these kind of things is 55% ownership. You have very little incentive to not play that player in those kinds of contests. At 55% ownership, if you haven't projected at 32% ownership, you think that you have a 25% edge on a player, you're pretty you're probably just gonna start with that player. And if you have other lineups, you're gonna diversify your portfolio to manage your volatility of your portfolio and your risk. That is how you end up with 73% on most there because most people in high stakes, you know, if it's a, if it's a five max contest or something like that for, for a four figure entry fee contest, most people are going to start with most there. And then when, if they have multiple lineups, the second lineup and the third lineup and the fourth lineup, then they will start making decisions of how much exposure and risk do I want to take on based on this player, even though, they are under-owned or undervalued. Most players will continue to play most air, and then with maybe their last lineup, and this is just based on what I know of the guys who are playing these stakes, their last lineup in an MME, or their like last 10%, let's say, that's when they're going to start to diversify a little bit, especially in high stakes. So then they'll have either a Miami sack, or they'll pivot to a Kamara, or they'll pivot to a and Kyron Williams high on, but maybe they'll pivot to a DeAndre Swift who is another player that had a high spread and was on a favorite and has a high rushing touchdown expectation. All of these things matter, but when it what it comes down to is, to, to wrap a bow on what I was saying, you need to have an understanding, whether it be intuitively or mechanically, of how owned a player should be and whether they are over or undervalued based on their projection. Right, over, um, uh, un, over and under-owned. Oh, value is more linked to salary. Sure. Over or under owned. And, and when, but, but remember, I, I speak of, of ownership as the value of price. Right. Remember, you're, talking, you're talking about the relative value of a lineup. Right. Right. So uh, on all of that, like 
it's it's the reason why in in higher stakes these guys have access to and have a process that allows them to derive what the efficient ownership of a player is whereas in lower stakes players don't have that or they do but they don't know how to use it or you know whatever 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 right but that's why we see such wide differences in efficient ownership as you go down in stakes um so that's that is how you end up with 73% owned in the top. And then you say, but finding a path to first place to me, that seems like the easiest leverage spot. You're 100% right. You are 100% right. If you fade a 73% owned player in high stakes, you have now, based on the easiest path to first, that is the easiest path to first. It's not the best path, theoretically. It's not the most optimal path theoretically, but it is the easiest. If a player is 99% owned, like Jordan was saying, if you fade that player, you automatically have the easiest path to first. Because if that player doesn't play, you now basically have an extra player over the entire field, right? But if that player projects for the best value on the slate and one of the best projections on the slate and is underpriced and is only at half of their efficient ownership when you're running out contest sims, it's it while it is the easiest it is probably also the riskiest and most volatile and you're not going to realize that ev for a long time even if you were right about fading them so there is my full long-winded and yeah i agree and i agree with all of it heuristically yeah. we we talk in in the course theoryofdfs.com i i say i talk a lot about it in the in the advanced course methodologies Blunt methodologies, precise methodologies. Yeah. Right. What's the bluntest methodology? I think someone's going to do well tomorrow. For no, just like just random ass out, out of your mouth. Right. Most precise is I got a time machine and I saw what happened tomorrow. Right. That's the most precise. Right. So heuristically, if you were to play exploitatively in a contest where we're, we're making this fictional contest where Mostert and Chase are both 99% owned. Mm -hmm. Do you have a way of figuring out which Mostert Chase lineups are plus EV? Now, there are blunt ways to do it, but you could also simulate and like Sims would tell you that. Sims would show you that. But do you have a precise way of doing that? Because you're going to need a much more precise way because you know just intuitively. These guys are way over owned. Like they like it would be, I could build a lineup with neither of them and have a high projection and be fine, right? But there is a precise way of if you wanted to play a whole bunch of most of Chase lineups at a plus EV, you can. So if you do not have a precise way of doing so, you're much more likely to make errors, right? Is it is my lineup low enough owned even with these two 99% on plays? That's where you get into the whole question of how many points do I give up for X projection based? Like, like there's no, there's no, you can't do that bluntly. You, you're guessing bluntly. Precisely, you'd have to you'd run it through Sims. You'd run it, you'd program something. You'd, you'd develop something that would be much more precise. Nerdy Tanner would do that, right? But if you don't have access to doing that, it's like you're much more likely to do bluntly. Well, what's the easiest way to do blunt? When two players are 99% owned, it's like intuitively, no, they're over. Like it's impossible for them pretty much to be under owned, right? Basketball, 
different story. Sometimes 99% on players maybe should be 99% on. Mm. Uh, so you know intuitively that if I just X out Mostert and Chase, I could build any lineup with any players. I could just literally just play the top projected lineup that isn't Mostert and Chase and be confident that had you did it, did it precisely, that that lineup would be positive EV. And because you can easily do that bluntly, that's why people do it that. That's why people think in those terms of, well, if those guys are going to be 99% on, I'm just going to fade both of them because they're over-owned. And then you get into arguments on Twitter of when the 99% on player goes for 40 points and goes, well, you're an idiot for playing them. It's like, no, it's only an idiot if you played them in a lineup that was too high-owned to begin with, right? Right? And you could play those guys in any way that you want, as long as the lineup makes sense from a relative value standpoint. It's just that when you do not have the precise methodologies and you're leaning on blunter methodologies, just like Travis said, the easiest thing to do is like, I'm just going to fade like the guy that is to me, obviously overowned. Now, you're not, what happens on the slates where, uh, this guy is 20, 22% owned. Should he be 18? Should he be 25? Like you, you, you don't have the blunt methodology doesn't work because it's intuitively, it doesn't DJ Moore should not be 25% owned in large field GPPs. Right. If I project him, I would, I would purely just X him out. Right. But you don't know what the ownership's going to be. You Do you know, should Nico Collins should have been 6% or 8%? Should he be 4%? Should he be 12%? Like, if you don't have a precise way of doing that, you're kind of guessing now. So when you say the easiest leverage spot, that's what we're talking. Intuitively, it's like, like, dude, I know that if I have these two jars of lineups, all these marbles, right? I have all these lineups that don't have the highest owned player in it that I know for sure is over-owned. I could grab my handful and almost certainly have most of these lineups be plus EV marbles, right? And then you have this jar. That has lineups that have the two highest on put the two 99% on players. And it's a whole, it's like there's a thousand blue marbles and there's like three green marbles in there. Right. So those three lineups, those are the plus EV lineups. But unless you have a way of really seeing which one's the green ones, you're going to grab a handful of those and most likely get negative EV lineups. But the other jar, it's like it's full of green marbles and it has like three blue marbles and it's like, the likelihood of we me picking one of the negative evil lineups is so so smaller. So like, if you're if you have no precise way, if you don't have the little crane, the little tweezers that can get that green marble, and you just have your handful, which which jar would you rather put your hand in? Mm-hmm. I'd rather put my hand in the one that doesn't contain the obviously overowned player. And this is I, I'm going to wrap up two things with a bow here because I know that we got to end things up, but um. This is why we always talk about identifying what the most important spots on the slate to get right are. We talk about that a lot of like, you don't really need to make a hundred decisions. You need to make like five decisions per slate. Um, And then that'll give you a a good starting off point. And the second point is, I don't care what anybody says, you should never play 50% on defense. You just shouldn't. I'm going to die on that hill forever. It's always- The Sims would say otherwise. The Sims would not say otherwise, and I promise they wouldn't say otherwise. Anyway- maybe not 50%, but whatever. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Depends on the lineup that you play. It's the same- No, it doesn't. 50% on defense is bad. 
carry on. Well, it's primarily because the fragility of the projection is right like, because the standard right. deviation between each defense is like overlap. It's like a Venn diagram. Every single right. one is just within the same one. Like they're all the same. Anyway, what, what, let's right. go. Uh, so James, uh, people could follow you on Twitter, Pater underscore DFS, PaterDFS.com. And got stuff yep. over there. You got content over there, right? Yep. Got both those things. Uh, getting ready to start putting together the NBA stuff. That's really, really exciting. So pretty excited for me. Aren't you excited for updating projections 74 times? I'm not going to have to this year. It's going to be mostly automated. So I'm excited. Okay. We'll see how that works. We got, we got NBA <laughs> stuff coming. We, right? We, you never know. I don't know. Yeah. Got NBA stuff coming up next week, right? That's coming back here on Roto Grinders. Click on the link in the description. Get $10 off your first month. We got NHL. I've been using the NHL projections for prop betting, college football projections. We got we got everything for you here. Uh, we'll, we'll hopefully be coming out with that, that sim thing. I don't know when it's going to be public or I'm anything, but I'm just giving you a little bit preview. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, I'll uh, be back tomorrow. I'll be talking about some... Uh, Props and pick them. We got some MLB playoffs. We got some a little bit of hockey. Tuesday is going to be a light day. But send in your questions to the mailbag. Questions at theoryofdfs.com. I got some in there. Maybe maybe we'll, we'll do a mailbag episode tomorrow. So send them in. Questions at theoryofdfs.com. And I will answer them as well as uh, anything you're thinking about. In daily fantasy, props, and pick them. Monday through Friday, 11 o'clock Eastern. On Roto Grinders today.